All right. Hey, John. Hey, Milton. Do you remember when we first met? Vaguely, yes. I remember when you, right before we talked about the stuff directly, you mentioned Buffy. Did I? And from then on, every conversation thereafter would always lead back to this show that you just kept talking about. And then finally, you invited me to actually watch the pilot episodes together. And then I, we just committed to finishing out the season. First one. And here we are. Here yeah. we are. Um, so, yeah, as Milton has said, I love the show a lot. I consider I have three favorite shows. This, it's spinoff Angel, and Ash vs. Evil Dead. Um, I think at the end of the day, I like these a little bit more because this has got more to it. Ash vs. Evil Dead is fantastic, but it is very much a comedy, and you're there for the gags. Um, but yeah, we are here to discuss uh, Buffy Season 1, uh, and I just gotta say thank you for doing this. I didn't think I'd ever find somebody willing to uh, go through this madness that is, what, let's see, 12 seasons of television? <laughs> well, we're for those who are saying, "Well, there's only seven seasons of Buffy." No, we're talking about the Angel series as well, which is which is five seasons. Yeah. All right. So, since Milton, this was your first real viewing experience of the show, give us your just first impressions of the season. I like it. I don't love it yet because it is still. The thing is, as we know, this season was meant to replace a show that was already running on the network at the time called Savannah. So we more or less don't exactly have a full season, at least per the standards of the day. Uh, we have a half season. It was more. It was kind of a rough production, but it shows promise. So more or less, we're getting a very good taste of what is to come later. Is how I interpret this there's a lot of promise there's great character interaction you get a, quite a bit of like the best like early joss whedon writing in this show i can clearly tell that's where the strength of it lies um yeah that's yeah. my first impression yeah and obviously this is very much a show that lives and dies by its characters mm-hmm. um this mixes two of my favorite things comic like superheroes slash comic book storytelling with horror which, if you haven't figured it out by now, this channel is all about the horror. <laughs> um, so, tell us a little bit about... Okay, let's actually let's start here. Who are your favorite characters just from this season? Okay, so from this season, I would say Rupert Giles was my... Yeah, is probably my favorite character of the show. Um, he takes... He the the actor um, shoot whose name I forget unfortunately because I have the memory of a goldfish. Anthony Stewart Head. Thank you. Who he really he really does a great job of representing the the friendly outsider becoming the support character and coming in with that he just he portrays it so well. Um, he he's so sincere with his performance that you, you become endeared to him, you know, weirdness and all, but you don't get weirded out by him. Just sometimes some of his mannerisms 
but you knows that since he's sincere and that he truly wants to help and actually be a, a foundational support for Buffy, that makes him a fantastic character, I feel. Absolutely. And just within the typical superhero genre, because this is very much a superhero show, um, he is the mentor. He's the Professor X, or um, I can't think of another mentor right now. It's difficult to find like a lot. A lot of characters are like Giles. I mean, you get the mentor thing, but we have so many different mentor types because we have like the reluctant mentor, the mentor that turns evil, um, you know, with like some sort of underlying darkness that's prevalent throughout the teaching, and then you get the sincere mentor who is very, who goes out of his way to be the person that he needs to be for the person who needs to become the hero. And obviously, like you mentioned, this is very much a partial season. Uh, as much as this show is a coming-of-age story, this is also a coming-of-age season, in a way. Uh, they're still finding their footing. We we have a big bad, which this show helped pioneer that formula that we're still using to this day. Uh, but they don't have it figured out how to integrate him very well into the ongoing season. And I think you notice that a lot, especially in the filler episodes. Sure. Like uh, during the iRobot Eugene episode, what is he doing? Like, <laughs> it's, it's whatever. Um, it, this also goes into um, a character I'm more mixed on, and that is fortunately and unfortunately Buffy. Because the, as this is a very coming of age season, we're still feeling around with our main character of how much we want to give her in terms of quite literal power. And as well as sometimes figurative power and how she kind of deals with that as a character. Because as she she says, as is very clear, she's 16. Should she be a bit more of the, the teenager who's coming in to an unknown situation, doesn't know how to deal with it? Or do we want to deal with a confident person coming in? And is like ready to take on the challenge. The show tries to balance both throughout this season in different ways. Yeah, and if I had to compare Buffy to anyone, because again, this is very comic influence. She's Spider-Man, right? Trying to balance the personal life with the superhero life. And this show very well, very, for for the most part, executes her trying to balance that well, even if she is unsuccessful in balancing it. Um, I do think at some points they have her mom be mad at her for no reason other than drama. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really like Buffy a lot. Um, and I like that we kind of see her struggle with it until the end of the season where, spoilers, she dies. And it's almost very much fig- symbol- symbolically a rebirth. Because you you notice even after when she comes back, she's like, I feel stronger. And I think... And I just had this thought uh, when we watched it, but I think that's her embracing her Slayer power, her heritage, Mm. uh, and coming back stronger and more Slayer-esque. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if there's something like that. Um, Based on the success of the season, Joss Whedon knew what was going to happen. So I think having that, that sort of... We also needed to get to a point where we could buy that Buffy could be in a situation where she could feel powerless so that later on she could reflect on that 
and then be able to grow up it as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in my opinion. Well, and I think the show would look very different if he knew he wasn't getting a second season. Mm-hmm. Um, cause Joss Whedon has a bad history of shows getting canceled on cliffhangers, but I don't think they would end on a cliffhanger if he knew they were getting canceled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, th- this is my representation of like the show that, uh, you know, got canceled and got replaced by Buffy. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that. Can you imagine being the show that got canceled to get replaced by a, like a cultural phenomenon like Buffy? It like a hamper is rather embarrassing to have them shot in your camera. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think part of the reason that this show was so successful is because, at least at the time, there was nothing on like this. No. We didn't have comic book storytelling on TV. No, I think this is also, like, like somewhat in the beginning stage of CWS kind of shows. Because we didn't exactly get a lot of this until, what, like Green Arrow? No, I... So the timeline from the way I understand it, because I'm not obviously I'm not an expert on CW. Mm. And the thing with CW as well is they didn't take over until the mid 2000s. Right. When it was just Warner Brother WB TV, I think their quality was a little better. Because you had sure. this and whether you like it or not, Smallville was a hit. Like it was very successful. You had Supernatural, which owes its entire, like, sorry if you love Supernatural, but it owes its entire success to the show. That's not necessarily <laughs> an insult. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and some, some Buffy actors appeared on, in a couple episodes, too. That was pretty neat. Um, but, yeah, this is the, I think this is, and if we're wrong, let us know in the comments below, but this is kind of the first of its kind. Like, because you had this, and then on other networks, you had, like, the X-Files, which isn't quite the same, but it was also kind of experimenting with that big bad of the season, instead of just an episodic formula. Speaking of characters, maybe we should list them off and uh, give them brief summaries. Um, yeah. We have the main character, of course, uh, Buffy Summers is her last name. Um, there are not a lot of people just named Buffy. I think I remember Joss saying that's part of why he chose that name. Yeah, there's like a few, but it's like very, it's very spread out between the decades. It's not a very common name. Um, but as we know, we're, we're getting this show off of a film that was called, you know, Buffy Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which only has like, according to you, was like a very loose connection to the show. The only connection to the show is in the pilot when she mentions that the gym burned down. That right. is covering the events in that movie. Yeah. So, I mean, if people ever want to see the movie, go ahead. But I imagine Joss Whedon is not exactly uh, too passionate about connecting it to the rest of the show. So. No, I mean, this whole show exists because he hates that movie. Yeah, exactly. But we um, will review it one day. Yes. She she is played by Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um yeah, consistent character throughout. She is one of the main three. Of the other main characters, we have Xander Harris, who's like main co-lead, 
like opposite to Buffy, along with uh, Willow Rosenberg, basically Buffy's two best friends, played by Nicholas Brendan and Allison Hannigan, respectively. Allison Hannigan, which I still find to be surreal to be in the show, considering how often I've just seen her in like other stuff, like uh, How I Met Your Mother. Um, she, I think she also is, is or was like the host of uh, Fool Us with Penn and Teller. A lot of different stuff just spread throughout the days. So there's also American. Well, and she's usually a, like everything I've seen her in is usually a comedy. Other than this, yeah, this there there are some comedic elements, but it's because of just how Joss Whedon writes characters that interact with each other, and occasionally some goofiness to lighten up. Um, but yeah, those are the three main. We also I also mentioned uh, Rupert Giles, played by Anthony Stewart Head. Um, He's also one of my favorites as well. We also have Cordelia Chase, who is somewhat of an antagonistic character, but not like directly antagonistic. Um, but sh- but then later on, kind of it transitions into being kind of a neutral, supportive character, you know, despite herself, as she's played by a uh, Charisma Carpenter, which is a fantastic name i would think she was uh, also in veronica marsh for a bit after buffy ended yeah. and we also have the elusive angel played by david Boreanaz, who people will recognize from bones yeah. and uh he uh just just to set this up front because we'll get more into it later but uh he is my favorite character in this whole universe. Uh, I find him really interesting. Uh, and I always forget when I go back to this season how much of a nothing he is. <laughs> he has some stuff to do, but it's like later on in like episode 7 and like 11 and 12. Well, it, it's it's just funny because up until, until episode 7 where we get the big twist, which, by the way, in case you haven't figured it out yet, this is complete spoilers. Yeah. The show is 20 plus years old. Go watch the show. Please do it. Um, um, continue watching if you want to, but just know we are going to spoil, spoil the hell. But yeah, up until episode seven, when we get to the twist that he is a vampire, mm-hmm. um, he just kind of shows up, says, oh, something bad's coming, and disappears. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he's pretty much just the uh, portender of doom. Um, along with Rupert Giles also kind of being the same. It kind of goes into that thing of we don't exactly know what to do with Giles too much. So sometimes they, him and him and Angel kind of are doing the same thing a lot and sometimes in the same episodes. Which is also why I like later when later on in the season when they actually interact with each other and they actually and they actually work well with each other and have like decent chemistry together as actors. Well, so, and Angel also what immediately I think once you you start to learn about him his just his backstory itself is interesting just on paper because you have this this guy that was even and even the big bad of the season says the most vicious creature he's ever met yeah, and now Angel, he has to redeem that yeah Angel the explanation of Angel's existence is a game changer a good because, vampire because it. It not only demonstrates that a vampire can be good, it demonstrates that a person's soul can be returned to his body even after becoming a vampire. For those who are confused on what we're talking 
uh, vampires are mostly traditional in this show, but have this aspect of to the point where they essentially become possessed by a demon when they become a vampire. Yeah. So, and, oh, sorry. Go ahead. You, you you can go ahead. You you probably explain it pretty well. So the way that the, it is described in episode seven, the demon gets your body, but it doesn't get your soul. When you become a vampire in this, you are no longer whoever you were. The demon takes complete control, and your soul goes somewhere. Slight spoilers for the rest of the show. They never really get into where your soul goes. It doesn't matter. It's fine. It's whatever. Um, maybe it's just trapped in the body. And maybe that might be. When he, and maybe it escapes when the body dies. But the, the, the demon has all of your memories and everything, but it is... It's fundamentally a different person. Yeah. Um, and then we also have for antagonists, we've got Darla played by um, I knew this too. She um, we, Julie Benz. Yeah, That's we get it. two uh, actors from uh, uh, Dexter. Thank you. Who's Thank the you. other one? Yeah, uh, that would be Dexter himself. That's not him. Yeah, that's him. No, it's not. I'll look this up. But uh, go on while I'm looking it up. Um, and then we also get the master. I I don't know who plays him. Kind of the weakest, one of the weaker big bads. But that's just because the season doesn't know, doesn't know where it's going yet. But I think in the season finale, you very much get a hint of what's to come with the storytelling. Oh, Brian, okay. So Brian Thompson, who I swore looked like Dexter, <laughs> but I guess I was wrong. Whoops. Nah, it's all good. So I guess that it's it's not really going to be, I think, proactive to go episode by episode because I'm going to be honest. There's a lot of episodes in this that aren't great. Yeah, one <laughs> I still have not finished actually. <laughs> Really? Which you know, one? And I, I think I you know which one it is. It's, is it the uh, Pragmantis one? Yeah, that one. <laughs> well, and what sucks the worst about that one? Because you have the two-part pilot, which is great. You have the Witches episode, which I like quite a bit. Yeah. And I like the twist at the end because I don't think it's callable until the end. Um, At least if you're putting yourself in the shoes of, like, 1997, I think that twist is... is Still surprising. And then you hit that episode and it's just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a rather it's honestly a rather creepy episode, like truly creepy, because the thing is a lot with shows like this, and definitely of the time, you have a lot of adults playing teenagers. And you get into that I guess well we should probably rewind and go through episode through episode, but um, just briefly touching on it, you have an adult actor trying to play a child, essentially, who is getting seduced by an older woman who is using pheromones, uh, pheromones sorry, to basically lay eggs inside of him. And it gets... See, I think there's an inherently creepy idea there, but then you see the, the praying mantis and it just looks so goofy that it sucks all of the horror... Now, it's, it's not the creep factor that draws me out. It's the fact that just it seemed like a lot of the actors just knew that they couldn't take this seriously too much. And so it's 
It's very awkward. Well, and that's the other thing is a lot of these characters, really the only one I think that has fully gotten the grasp on her character by the end of season one is Sarah Michelle Gellar. Sure. Um, I think she's phenomenal, especially in episode 12. Um, but yeah, do you want to do it episode by episode or do you just, are we just doing like an overview? Uh, I say we do it through episode through episode, but, um, for essential watching for this season, I would, I would say, and correct me if I get this wrong, I would say episodes one and two, then to seven, then I'd say 11 to 12. I, as some, you could argue maybe episode 11 a little bit. I'd say so because I guess we want Angel to have some more presence and also show some reluctance to see Buffy before we see him in episode 12. Because we also have some discussion about like getting the text. That I don't necessarily disagree with you, but if you just want the main story and want to get to season two as quickly as possible, drop 11, just watch the two-part pilot, seven and 12. That's all you need to know for going into season two, because none of that filler stuff from any of the episodes is really brought back. Yeah. Although, of course, I would say if you like the show, watch the show. Yeah, you know, don't let don't let this uh, abridged guide to watching the show just stop you from watching anything else. But yeah, yeah. And um, if you just want to watch a season of decent television, watch all of it. Like the only there's only two episodes in here I would say are bad, and that's four and eight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get to it. Um, so we have, in season one, we have 12 episodes in total, as we said before. The uh, first two, um, directed by Charles Martin Smith and John T. Kretschmer, respectively, but both written by Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon essentially being the main uh, head of the ship, you know, the captain at the helm, so, so to speak. Um, Welcome to the Hellmouth is the name of the first episode, and The Harvest is the second. We go into basically reestablishing the character after the movie, um, because Joss Whedon hates the movie and just wants to reestablish the character again. We get some connections to it, just moving on past, just to basically introduce a new actor for Buffy, and then introduce the two friends, you know. And we also introduced the master as the main villain of the story. And which is, he's also a weakness of the season, unfortunately, because although he's not a, it's not a terrible actor portraying him. It's just, we don't get a lot of time to develop the master as a threat. Exactly. It's, we always get this idea that this is supposed to be portending of the end times with the master, but we just because there's not enough development, I don't think we can take these stakes so seriously, unfortunately. So the thing with the master is he's he's very well portrayed. It's just the writing isn't there to back up the acting. No. Uh, all we know about him is that somehow he got stuck in the hellmouth, which is that cave you see him in um, all the way to the end. Yep. And he wants to get out and that would be bad. We don't know why. We don't know what he wants when he escapes. All we know is that he wants to escape and yeah. kill people, which isn't great development for great, isn't great motivation for a villain unless you just want to say he's evil. And he's not but, even in half the season. Yeah, and, and Buffy's got to stop him. Yeah. It's a very basic, it's a very basic structure for the main plot of the season. 
Yeah, I, I forgive the master a little more than I do some of the other big bads that I don't like because at the very least, he has an emotional challenge for Buffy in terms of spoilers for episode 12. But she she goes to face him knowing she will die if she does. Which is something we establish at, at the very last episode. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but overall, because uh, th- this is a, just a fair warning as well, this is a two-part pilot. Uh, which I, I think is kind of brave for an, a TV show doing something like this because you, they had no idea if this was going to work or not. Like, this whole thing was a gamble. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they commit to it pretty well. Um, we get um the actor that I confused for uh you know Dexter and but and we also get Darla and Angel. Yeah, Darla. Yeah, Darla and. All the cast pretty much make an appearance, um, except for one who makes her way into episode eight and then goes into twelve. And who? You know, um, the uh, the the techno witch. Oh, calendar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but she she comes in later. Um, but um, it's a it's a very good uh, two parter. We get the establishment. We get a decent sub villain. To kind of be the main threat. Um, and then he dies at the end of episode two. But Darla continues on and she makes more appearances later in the season. His uh, death is my favorite thing in that pilot. Yeah. Where she tricks him into thinking the sun's out. Yeah. So good. Um, yeah. And I mean, they they set up a nice mystery with Angel. Because he just kind of pops up and is like, something bad's going to happen. And then disappears. And I, I can see... Okay, so I can see this show on modern day CW. That would last like four seasons. And then we'd find out he's a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, the development is a lot faster. The pacing is a lot better. Um, and for those who are confused, what is a Hellmouth? It's just a cave somewhere. So It's just a cave. A Hellmouth, yeah. Hellmouth is a center of mystical activity. Um, that draws all kinds of supernatural creatures. It is basically just, here's a MacGuffin that's a reason why the Slayer has to be here at this point and why monsters keep attacking. Yeah, it's where the Master essentially sends commands out for the villains to basically just ruin Buffy's day. Um, And we see that multiple times. But occasionally we get villains who are unrelated to that or very tangentially related. Going into episode three, the witch. Which, yes, the witch who is a is essentially a story, a very interesting self-contained story. I would say of a parent who basically wants to capture immortality and steal the youth of her daughter, relive uh, her glory days. Yeah, yeah. I've always said this is very uh, sorry to interrupt, but this oh, is very ahead. Twilight Zone esque. Um. So since you since you did the runover for the pilot, basically we meet another student. Her name is um, Amy, um, and she is, wants to be a cheerleader like more than anything. Yeah. Weird things start happening to the competition. This also gives me Smallville flashbacks, but that's because I'm pretty sure Smallville is just ripping off this episode, oh. <laughs> as many shows did. Uh, sure. Yeah. Not not to slight Smallville, I love Smallville. But anyway, back to Buffy. Um, 
weird things start happening to the competition. We are introduced right away. That's the other thing that's impressive about the show. Episode three, the, the first like real story after the pilot, we are immediately thrown in. There's magic in this world. And we find out that Amy's mom was a practicing witch who switched bodies with her daughter to relive her glory days as uh, as a cheerleader. And not she just felt, any cheerleader, the head cheerleader. The head cheerleader. Because she felt like her daughter was wasting her time. What? Okay, so I didn't rewatch this episode. She Is wanted, it? She wanted to relive her potential in some ways. She there. There's a there's an idea that's touched on where Amy is constantly putting the person, you know, the parent, um, basically possessing Amy gives gives this impression that she has to fulfill her mother's legacy and you immediately and you initially buy it because the actors are rather convincing so you go into the aspect of okay this is teenage drama where the young child is feels that she's in the shadow of her mother and then we flip it which is i think is awesome actually in terms of a plot structure um and then it comes into oh it's her mother is now in the shadow of her own legacy and is so possessed by it and feels so insecure about growing older that she wants to reclaim it but how does she do it she's not going to get any younger unless she steals it from her daughter who she essentially i imagine her mother wanted her daughter i think this is explained to wanted her daughter to be like the head cheerleader and this would be a lot like her, and so she would she would experience glory vicariously. But when she knew that wasn't going to happen, then she went for the possession. Yeah. And, and it's a very uh, deeply written episode, which I think is great. Yeah, there there's a lot here thematically about because this show obviously is very much about growing up, becoming an adult. This is the opposite of you can't let you of it's about not being able to let go of your childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, we also get to see, you know, Sarah, easy for me to say, Sarah Michelle Gellar's, uh, I think comedy chops a little bit when Buffy gets sick. Uh, it is kind of funny. It's, 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 a little, it's a little weird, but um, I get what they're trying to go. For. And then you get one of the most like horrifying endings ever. Uh, she tries to swap places with Buffy, uh, Amy's mom, I I mean, to specify, and somehow or another ends up trapped in the trophy. As you said, very Twilight episode-ish kind of thing. Twilight Zone, not Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) Or uh, Dark Midnight, if anybody knows that, you know, the Film Cal YouTube channel, which is more or less inspired by Twilight Zone. Um, Yeah. Um, we, I also like it a lot because the pacing out of the pilots, we get the impression, oh, it's about killing vampires all the time. Not necessarily. And I think it's a pretty fresh going into where this episode has nothing to do with vampires. Mostly. I think, like, Buffy might be... No. No, we don't. She, uh, I was going to say, she might slay a vampire. Um, like I said, I didn't rewatch this one. I know this season well enough because it's so short. Um, but in a lot of times, if we have an episode that doesn't have anything to do with vampires, just to kind of like remind you, oh, she's a vampire slayer, we'll throw an obligatory like she's patrolling in the graveyard or something like that. 
Yeah, but the show demonstrates that it's not going to be like a one-trick thing where we just deal with vampires and that's it. Which I'm I'm grateful for because it shows that the show is a bit more longevity mm-hmm. with concepts and can actually be a bit versatile in what it wants to do. Um, yeah. We also get I also we also get some comedy chops from uh, Giles as well, where like immediately we go into like Giles like trying to like coax Buffy out of a cult, but it's him acting as an outsider to like cheerleading and not really understanding the culture behind it, which I find hilarious. And really in character. So, yeah. Yeah. This episode was written by Dana Reston. I'm going to look her up later and see what else she has done because I think it's. Uh, this was good. This was what, really good. What's interesting, and don't quote me on this because it's been a while since I looked at this, but if I remember correctly, a lot of the f- writing room for season one didn't come back into two. Which is unfortunate. Well, unfortunate in some ways. It. Whoever wrote the next episode we're about to talk to talk about, I'm glad they didn't come back. And that would be David Greenwald of the episode Teacher's Pet, if we want to get into that. If um, I remember correctly, that's like yeah. the only episode he did. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, the previous episode, the witch was directed by a Stephen Craig, um, you know, kind of a teaming mm-hmm. up with Dana. The fourth episode is directed by Bruce Seth Green, um, who I've never heard of. You've heard of Seth Green, never heard of Bruce Seth Green, though. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned Seth Green. Yeah, I I have heard things, but we'll get into that later when when we come back for another season summary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Teacher's Pet is. I say I haven't. Yeah, I guess maybe this is the worst episode this season. Some people oh, say I like disagree. Episode, well, here's the thing. With episode eight, it gets so goofy that I feel like it's a, a bit more entertaining than this one. Because oh, see. episode eight is really goofy in a bad way, but it engages my attention. See, I, I think that's the I think episode eight is the only episode that's just aged incredibly poorly. Yeah. Um it, it I, definitely is, yeah. And, I don't know, at some point I'm just like, please stop. Please. Yeah, yeah we, we commented earlier on why we didn't like episode 4. I also think that episode 4 is a little dry, aside from that. Yeah. And we get some of the worst of Xander, unfortunately. Not necessarily unrelatable Xander, but Xander is a character, by this point, has made it very clear, oh, he is infatuated with Buffy. It's been very clear. It's been clear from the start. And the season, unfortunately, has a problem with basically elongating that and basically making Xander just be awkward around Buffy quite a bit to the point where it becomes almost uncomfortable for the audience, too. And well, we the worst of that in this episode. I'm a little more forgiving about him being awkward around her because as we get further in, like, with Xander, he's kind of awkward around almost everyone. I know, um, but sometimes it's not the endearing sort of awkward sometimes. It's not always true. like that throughout the season, but in this episode in particular, it's it becomes almost vicious. <laughs> yeah. And I go back and forth on Xander uh, whether I like him or not. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely sincere. Yeah. And and I buy the actor. The actor does a great job of trying to, of doing what he's being told to do. And, you know, acting this way. 
Xander is is a very relatable character for a lot of like young adults and like going into young men dealing with um, just growing up puberty, trying to be confident, but at the same time still being an awkward teenager. Um, yeah, and that that's the struggle that Xander is going through while also trying to be supportive. But of course, as a lot of us know, uh, we have girls on our mind. They kind of inform a bit in our actions, just trying to get, uh, just trying to get into a relationship. And teenage boys are dumb. Yeah, did that too, and he does not get that. At least not in this season. I don't know what happens later, but but in this season, it's, no. I can't wait to watch season two with you. Uh, we might do some of that tonight if you have time. Yeah, but, maybe. Uh, but uh, but tell us about fo- episode four. Yeah, we'll we'll focus up. I just I don't want to get into it because I'll let you because I didn't finish it. I'll try to bounce off of you. But okay, yeah. so I'm gonna we're we're not gonna spend too long on this episode because it sucks. Yeah. Uh, basically, a substitute teacher comes to town uh, after a teacher that we met one time and are supposed to believe that Buffy really likes is killed. Um. I was really disappointed because I actually liked that teacher, and then we get rid of them. And then we get this character. And then Xander develops a crush on her, but she's a giant praying mantis lady, and and she wants to lay eggs, and it's creepy and weird, but not in, like, the fun, creepy and weird way. Yeah, I mean, overall, it's just generic, like, monster of the week, like... Yeah, we we slay the monster at the end. Xander realizes, oh my gosh, I, I'm I'm assuming. Although, uh, let's... if there's one thing I will give this episode credit for, it starts the running gag in this season of all of them have terrible choices in love interests. Yes, um, it's very clear. Clear. Um, we haven't talked a lot about Willow, but Willow's been a very consistent character. She's also a support like geek kind of character. Her, I. I really do. She's probably my second favorite character next to Giles, I would think. Willow's arc in this season is about coming to terms with who she is and standing up for herself. Yes. Um, She she is my favorite of... They'll establish this later, but the gang calls himself the Scooby Gang. Uh, Yeah. She is my favorite of the Scooby Gang outside of Buffy. Uh, I think she is the most consistently like on Buffy's side. Um, but yeah, this season very much is just the nerdy girl learns to stand up for herself because she got a friend that inspires her to be better. Yeah. And there's also a love triangle thing going where, well, maybe a love square in a way. So it's Willow's Um, in love with Xander. Yes. Xander's in love with Buffy. And later on in the season, Buffy is in love with Angel. It's not really a shape. It's just a line. Of sorts, but and then Angel kind of goes back and is. I don't think he's sure exactly. He wants. He is attracted to Buffy. He's attracted. I don't think he's in love though. No, he's not. Not. Um, But yeah, so it's not really like a triangle or square or anything. It's just kind of a line that doubles in on itself. Yeah. Um, and we, we get into those dynamics later on, they become relevant and we kind of, we address them. I think it's done decently. I think it could have been done a little bit better, but I like 
where it goes in some ways, especially with how Willa deals with her situation, kind of being on the bottom of the totem pole in that, in that series of relationships. Well, and one of my favorite Willa moments is in the finale, because uh, Xander, you know, he's kind of he he's kind of floating out in the water with no life lifeboat to use a, a metaphor yeah. uh, after Buffy basically turns him down so he like starts trying to cling to willow and she's like no i'm not gonna be your second choice yeah i'm not your i'm not a stand-in for somebody else um but she's not she's not too she's critical but she's not um too understanding she's she still wants to support xander but at the same time she also balances that with self-respect she's the most fair of the characters certainly yeah um I don't know if we get too much into it this season, but even even because I think there's episodes where like Buffy and Xander disagree on things. Willow always tries tries to see both sides, and that's what that's what I love about her. Yeah, Plus, to, she's Willow. Like she's just so nice. Yeah, she's she's very wholesome. Uh, what else can we talk about? Episode four. Not much happens. I mean, they yeah. Buffy shows up, beats the bug, and Xander's more or less possessed by pheromones, so his judgment is always in question. Um, not that we need more of that. Um, I must say, Smallville did this episode better, not by much, but um, but yeah. So we're just gonna leave episode four at that. It's bad. If you don't want to sit through some of the filler stuff that hasn't aged well, skip it. Also, I, I probably shouldn't do this, but quick plug as well for uh, Buff, the Buffy Guide by, I can't remember the YouTube channel name, but he, he does what we're doing, but episode by episode, oh. and tells you like what to watch and what not to watch. So the Buffy Guide, I'm going to look it up real quick. Yeah, on YouTube. Uh, Passion of the Nerd? Passion of the Nerd, that's it. Shout out to his videos, I've watched them, they're quite good. Yeah, I think I'll get into those too. Um, didn't want to watch those like right before this review because mm-hmm. I wanted us to be honest. And not to yeah, and I'm trying to separate myself from like what he said. Some yeah. of what I think is influenced by that just because I agree with him and he says it better than I can. Um, but yeah, shout out to him. If you want to watch his videos too, you should. I'll put a link in the comments when we're done. Yeah, definitely. For anybody to watch, honestly, go ahead. But uh, although, of course, we recommend watch the show first before you watch an analysis. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Even the bad ones. Even the bad ones. Then we move on to episode five, which is kind of important. But in the last watch through I did before I I started watching it with you, I did find it quite skippable because the only thing it introduces is the anointed one. Which yeah. I still don't understand what any of that is supposed to be. The five is very five is forgettable, unfortunately. Um, so this season is um, sorry, sorry, this episode is directed by uh, David Simmel and written by uh, two people this time: Rob Des Hotel and Dean Vitale. Um, we get the bus scene where vampires attack a bus and they get like six people. Um, two are brought back. One be two become vampires essentially. And then we kind of do a switcheroo essentially mm-hmm. where we think we've killed the anointed one at the end, but it actually turns out to be the child. 
due to pretty much just spends the rest of the season just next to the master in Hellmouth and just is the straight man to the master's weird sense of humor. <laughs> and, hey, the master's got a couple of good lines. The the earthquake one in the finale makes me laugh every time. It's like five point one. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the only thing this, se- this season accomplishes two things. The first is that it, it introduces the Anointed One, and all of that mythology is so vague and like just non-existent. I don't understand any of it, other than he needs this kid, I guess, just to lead Buffy to him in the finale. Uh, yeah, we should probably talk about the bronze by this point. Uh, of course. Yeah, the bronze, which is essentially the main... The main hangout for the cool kids of sorts. Says Um, the uncoolest kid. (laughs) No, I mean, it has like the 90s, you know, pop bands of the day, that kind of feel to it. It's like, is it a bar? It's a club, I think, yeah. It's, It's like, it's like borderline, like an adult hangout for kids, child actors, I mean, adult actors pretending to be... It, it's just an excuse yeah. so that Buffy can have yeah. somewhere to hang out with her friends. Yeah, it's basically the place where we don't want to show everything at the school, so here's a warehouse. Go. They, Joss Whedon was like, we've only got two sets. We need another set. But I wouldn't mind hanging out at the bronze, though. It seems like a chill place. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, it's where, it's where the characters hang out when they're not at school. Yeah. yeah well, and I mean, we get three main sets in the sh- in this season: the the library, Buffy's house, and the bronze. Yeah, and the gym sometimes, and the, you know, yeah. different places, different places in the uh, school. The other thing that it does is it kind of establishes that Buffy will never have a relationship with a normal guy. Yeah, this character is Owen. <laughs> yeah, and needless to say, we never see him again. No. Owen basically just goes through this adrenaline rush after a cathartic moment just of hanging out with Buffy, realizing that vampires are real. And and Owen just goes a bit psycho, and then, of course, Buffy kind of distances herself. Which, it's it's nice that she's mature. She demonstrates that she's mature enough to understand that she shouldn't engage with someone just for the sake of being in a relationship. Let me rephrase that. You shouldn't seek out relationship status just for the sake of having it. Um, that concept is brought up very quickly, and Buffy understands. Yeah, this is not someone that I should get into, and I I should be okay with waiting on that. And, you know. Well, and it's also that superhero thing, right? Like anyone I'm with is going to be in danger. Yeah. More so with Buffy, because like she fights. She's not fighting like super villains, right? She's fighting monsters. Well, the master could be considered a super villain type of sorts in terms of archetypes, but he has such a weak presence throughout the season that it, it's kind of hard to say. That. Well, don't get me wrong; the the big bads of each season are almost like super villains, but at the end of the day, they are also still monsters. Sure, and. Uh, but isn't the real monster man? The friends going? we made the, 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 along the way? The real monster <laughs> is the one that we formed from body parts and we Frankenstein one together or something. I don't know. 
Um, save yeah. that for later. But yeah, that's uh, that's that for that episode. I really don't have much more. And then, that. and then comes episode six, which is my favorite of the filler episodes. This is a pretty fun episode, I would say. This is the uh, second episode directed by Bruce Seth Green, written by two more new people, Matt Keen and uh, Joe uh, Rankin Meyer. Um, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, basically, Xander is grouped in just by accident to be possessed by a poor, a poorly constructed hyena animatronic. Uh, it's it's not. I don't hate on it. I find it funny. no. It's charming. I find it cute. Um, but yeah, they they essentially get possessed, and they basically are like the closest things to uh hyenas that humans could be like like furry kin of sorts but if they really committed to it and started eating people oh and part of what i love about this episode is it's kind of fucked at the same time as it's just funny yeah uh i love principal flutie by the way he's like one of my favorite supporting characters in this season yeah Principal by the way who has been present throughout these episodes to this point yeah, he just honestly is like he's a side like a very minor supporting character. It's fine. Um but yeah, this this episode RIP Flutie. Yep. He get eaten. Yeah. By students possessed by hyenas and we never see that actor again. And it's great. <laughs> no, they they straight up eat this guy. Fortunately, like we kind of cut away from that so we don't have to see like the truly gory details. Well, in, in but, 90s oh, television, you're never going to get to see, see that. Because you, you can't show that. <laughs> At least... I don't I'm amazed they even went to that place in the night, like late 90s television. It's certainly a shock, because we don't see too much of that kind of outright direct darkness. Yeah. And then it's really a shock <laughs> going into that, just knowing, oh yeah, they ate a person. Fortunately, Xander didn't do it. He wasn't present over there at that time. Which is a little convenient, but it's fine. It's a little convenient. You can't have one of your main characters eat the principal. Yeah. We get some influences from... I forget exactly which African culture it is. Um, I need to do some more research on that. But we get get some of those elements there with a person... We established early on that there's a zookeeper who's like initially seems incompetent, but later on we established that he is deliberately using this as a means for siphoning power. Yeah, the, he was the one that was supposed to get the power, not the students. Yeah. Um, this also continues the running trend of Giles getting knocked out, um, and then the zookeep the zoo guy gets eaten by the. the Shitty animatronic uh, hyenas. Um, but this episode, it, it knows it's absurd, and it ha- plays around with it and has fun. Yeah. Uh, it's got a couple chilling scenes, like the principal one. Uh, the dodgeball one is kind of chilling once they turn on their teammate. Yeah, it, it gets a bit <laughs> chilling. It also is deliberately silly, too, at the same time. So They but... eat the pig! <laughs> that's, another, that's another thing, like... Yeah, for for any of you uh, vegetarians and or vegans out there, this is yeah. And Xander does take part in that one. Story. 
No, just kids possessed by hyenas. And then we get to the next important story episode. The Five line. episodes later. Uh, yeah. Tell um, us tell us a little bit about Angel. Yeah, directed by uh, another new guy, Scott Brazil. There's a lot of people where it's just spread out. Mm-hmm. Just getting so many people involved. Um, Scott Brazil directs this one. And another new writer, David Greenwald. Um, I thought you said his name before. Uh, I don't think. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. He was the writer of Teacher's Pet. Oh, I was wrong. Okay. So he wrote the worst and best episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, But we have Angel, in which we basically get an episode directed to basically just developing Buffy and Angel kind of in tandem. Angel with how she just deals with this new element in her life and just... Wait, did I say did I mix up the names in my head? Yes, you said that how Angel deals with a new element in her life. Buffy, who's already been established now, is dealing with this lingering infatuation that she has for Angel. And we also develop Angel's character as well by going into his origin. Mm-hmm. And we established what we talked about before, basically about beginning possessed by demons. Him in his case was cursed by a traveling gypsy band after he killed one of their one of their own. They curse him to basically retain his soul, if I'm getting that right. Yeah, so basically he killed the favorite daughter of a gypsy clan at some point in the past. I can't remember the exact year. Like 80 years before the show starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his retaliation, they cursed him with his to get his soul back. But the thing is, when you get your soul back, that conscience that you didn't have for a hundred plus years of killing and maiming and God knows what else, it it all comes rushing back. Yeah. You might think it's a blessing to have your soul back in that body. Unfortunately, it's a double-edged sword. Maybe you don't necessarily want your soul like trapped and attached to this body that you can't control. But you also have to consider, do I also now want to be responsible for a body that actively wants to drink and consume people. Yeah, and we see in in this episode he's drinking blood out of bags, presumably from like a blood bank. Uh, He's isolated himself from the world because he doesn't know what he wants to do. And at the end of the episode, which is my favorite piece, he decides you know what? I want to die and I want Buffy to kill me. It it definitely gets into a subtext of addiction. And in some ways, some could even argue theological as well, if you ever want to get into that. But the show doesn't want to either, so I imagine it's probably not that. Um, I think more of the addiction thing where this person is something dramatic happened to them and they desperately want to change, but their body is actively fighting against that desire to change. We get that a bit with Angel. Um, Buffy notices that she that he's different from the others, even after understanding that he is a vampire. Um, but she feels that she can't trust him because she he's set up to look like he killed, he attacked the act of almost killing her mom, who also has some presence in the show um, occasionally. 
as you know a supportive but unknowing mother yeah and by well and mother, i mean she's not aware that buffy's a slayer is what i mean i like that we finally give angel some backstory it only took us seven episodes uh, yeah. um it's it's a frame job that makes sense and isn't really contrived at least it's not as contrived as it could be um it could be worse and i've seen this done worse like a bunch of times there's no way to make this perfect but i think this is the best for what it's doing (laughs) and we get you know like like we mentioned that awesome moment just with buffy and angel at the end and you know their their relationship will of course continue to develop uh till he goes to a spinoff which i don't really consider a spoiler because i mean of course at some point he's just not going to be on buffy yeah but um we get that moment where she's ready to kill him. And I've always read that line, that scene as him trying to commit suicide by Slayer. Cause he's just tired of it all. Yeah. Uh, and then she realizes what's going on and gives him the chance to be better. Yep. Um, we kind of start out this episode in a weird way where we once again have issues with the masters and antagonists. Cause he, we really like try to, rile up the audience like oh look there's these three cool brutes this the three the three the three are going to come in and they're going to be this great antagonistic force and then they get killed very quickly in the beginning of the episode that's a very weeded thing too right build something up and it's just oh it's nothing fortunately it does not detract from the episode because then after that we kind of focus up a bit on the dynamic between buffy and angel it's just an excuse to get buffy and angel along together yeah. And then of course the big scene for that everybody remembers from this episode. Even I remember when this I think it was either when this aired or shortly after I saw this episode. It's the scene where they kiss and then boom, vampire. Yeah. And he get, slides out the window. Yeah, it was like we finally get pay a payoff for the sexual tension <laughs> that's going between the two. And then twist almost immediately after. Um, just right after the kiss, it, because it's it goes into all the teen drama of oh yeah they're cute together and we're glad that they're together, and then an immediate um, intrusive element comes into play where it's like oh maybe they shouldn't. Mm. Side side tangent that's relevant to the show as well. That's the other reason the show is so successful, right? It had that teen drama that's going to draw in your casual audience, but it had the real stakes, real characters. And it had enough of the horror and monsters to draw in the horror crowd. Yeah, actual stakes. Hey. Yeah. The only thing I think of is you like to build really small fences. Xander Harris, the pilot. Yeah. Um, also, it's great that Buffy just carries those around in the new school she goes to. Yeah, stakes in which case are, of course, within traditional vampire lore, or like could be the bane of vampires, just put one in the heart, um, Mm -hmm. maybe in the head to stun it, or stuff like that. Yeah, they never really play around with this, with that, like stabbing them in other places. Yeah. We got, we got the choreography, we should probably touch on the choreography as well. Choreography is very simple. Uh, it's of the day within daytime television um, where we're not going to get stuff like Netflix Daredevil. No. Because we have not developed TV as much during the 90s during this time. Although I will say it gets better as the show goes along. It does get better. I, 
I have heard. Um, but yeah, it's not as if the choreography is bad, but it's very, it's very of its time. It's simple. This, it's simple. Putting this in comic book terms, this almost feels like issue zero, right? Where it's just setting everything up, and then the next is going to be here's the real story. Um, yeah. you, you get a taste for what's to come later. And the other thing that always holds this show back, as much as I love it, is that 22-episode structure they're stuck with after the season. Yeah. I hate the 22-episode format. Like, I hate it. Um, and you, But you'll see why later. Why but, not? Uh, you get more Buffy, right? Don't that's both good and bad. <laughs> it's both good and bad. But yeah, um, you know, episodic structure for tele- daytime television at the time. Yeah. I mean, still it- is. It comes with the territory, unfortunately. But uh, then we go from Angel, and we're going to get more into the characters later because there's some obviously some other stuff to mention that is outside of just the episodes, to the online dating PSA from the 90s. I uh, robot you, Jane. Oh, God. (laughs) This is probably like, it's probably like the cringiest episode, um, maybe next to Teacher's Pet, but... See, I think this one's cringier just because it's like... No, you're right, this one is It's a relic now. It's so weird by today's standards. It's like, uh, so, directed by uh, Stephen Posey, another new director for this, with more new writers, Ashley Gable and Thomas A. Swidden. Swidden? It's a story where, once again, within, like, 90s television or just 90s in general, or even before then, it's like writers who don't understand computers are meant to write with a very computer-intensive plot. Well, and... If you know where it goes from there, you know how bad it's probably going to be. At this point, did anybody understand computers? Because, like, this is 97. Yeah, it's still in its early development. You get a few... I th- you get a few times where it's okay, but within definitely popcorn flicks and other stuff like that, maybe um, war games, it's like, that's like the best you could hope for at the time, and that still did not understand computers very well. Although, I think it's this episode, has one of my favorite Willow moments, where she tricks Cordelia into deleting that like entire program. Yeah. Oh, and- <laughs> I was saying, so you think it's going to be bad just based on that, and then you introduce a demon into the mix somehow. The demon is, uh, because his text gets uploaded to the internet, just now this weird thing works, he possesses the internet in some way, and now we have a techno-demon, <laughs> Moloch. <laughs> you know why this episode is worse? Because yeah. it inter- it's actually somewhat important because it introduces Miss Calendar. Let's get into that. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, okay. So basically, out of nowhere, Giles is arguing with uh, the new computer science teacher, uh, Jenny Calendar, uh, yeah. played by... Uh, Robia Lamore. Yeah. Uh, and they are scanning the books into the computer. I don't understand how that works or why they're doing it. Uh, but basically, there's a demon in a book. Yeah. And then, yeah, so really the only thing this episode accomplishes is introducing Miss Calendar, uh, who becomes important for the remainder of the season. 
this this episode is actually a very complicated disaster because we also get elements of like the weirdo who is like really connected to online stuff. Well, we have two oh, and he's the worst. Willow has this thing where I'm going towards this outlet because I don't get a lot of social interaction or really much access to romance. And then we get another character who's just so awkward and terrible. And oh, the, the one at the beginning is the cringiest thing where it's just like, if you're not online, you're not alive or some shit like that. It's like, if you're not online, you're... Yeah, it... This is, it's a very complicated, written, like, maze Mess. disaster. But this. basically... It's, it's so bizarre. Just to simplify it. Willow yeah. starts dating someone online uh, in the 90s when I... Oh, God, this is... We had Match.com, which was more or less paving the way for that. Well, I just... I think it's supposed to be that she's under his thrall... But I don't buy that Willow wouldn't at least question this. Yeah, you re- you really have to like underwrite Willow in order for this to make any sense. And then Buffy's like, but do you know what he looks like? And Willow's like, why don't you want me to be happy? Uh, yeah, and then you find out at the end it's the demon. He puts himself in this goofy looking robot body that's shot well for like five seconds. And then they decide, let's put it in a brightly lit hallway, and it looks like it was made for $2. Uh, Buffy tricks him into killing himself, and episode ends. There will be no texting during the podcast, sir. My bad. No, I'm just kidding. I don't care. (laughs) It's the one important text, but I got it. Anyway. No, Um, like I said, you're good. I'm just fucking with you. Um, but yeah, that's really all I have to say about iRobot Eugene. Uh, well, there's a bit more I want to say about it. If you ever want the most intimidating, non-intimidating villain, just Robot Moloch is just... <laughs> and he talks like <laughs> this. Voice. It's like, it's very much, you know, it's like the speech-to-text kind of thing. They really wanted to play with that. And although I can buy that's what he would probably sound like if the situation could even come he's, about somehow. He's voiced it, a text it, man. It's so in, unintimidating. It's so goofy. Um, we also start out the uh, the episode <sighs> and like we go flashback back in time where like the demon was first exercised, which is also which is also a little weird because we don't normally get that sort of thing in a Buffy episode structure. So. Yeah, yeah. It it's a very complicatedly written mess when it could have been a lot more simple given its premise. Except that its premise is terrible <laughs> for for the time. So yeah, and then we get in episode nine, which I have conflicted feelings on because sometimes yep. I like it when I watch it, and sometimes I don't like it when I watch it. Um, yep. we get uh, directed by another new director, Ellen S. Pressman, but written by a recurring pair, Ravdes Hotel and Dean Vitale, who wrote a Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, so yeah, I mean, really this show, this episode is just about a talking demon uh, hunter dummy. Yeah, this is where we really get into, like, this is this is like Schlock. This is, well, that too, but we also get into a comic book kind of thing as well with, like, 
we have like the the weird character who's like almost like a superhero in a way, kind of us story opposite Buffy. I I think that's an interesting take. The cynicism in me wants to say that they're just aping off Child's Play success. Um, also Goosebumps. At the time, yeah. We Does have Child's Play, which which is a movie I have seen. I've seen quite a few of the Child's Play movies. I love the Child's Play movies. We'll get a, we should get into that in the regular show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is some of that there. I do buy this on its own merits. Though. Oh, I, I agree. Um, but that was the other thought I had watching this is that dummy looks a lot like the one from Goosebumps. Uh, I haven't really seen Goosebumps. Um, I know of it. I know of some terrible Canadian episodes. Um, so all of them? <laughs> no, I didn't watch much of the show. But, uh, yeah, basically you find out that this d- dummy is possessed by the spirit of an old hunter. Um, kind of hinting at that there's more out there hunting the creatures in the night than just the slayers. And he was tricked by these demons... To be put uh, in the dummy. Which. The weirdest thing about this episode. Is they decided to put this dummy in the video game. On the PS2 years later. And they completely retconned that. I remember seeing you stream that (laughs) game. Actually wait. Quite a bit back. Um, Yeah and you get to play as the dummy. And they completely retconned his backstory. Because. So that's the other thing I noticed. Watching this episode. His backstory is that the demon that he's hunting in this episode. Uh, him and his like three brothers or whatever is the ones that did this to him. In the game, they've retconned it to be the first evil, which is like the first evil ever to walk the earth. What? Yeah, I don't know why they retconned that. What? So, like, what, Adam and Eve bite into the apple? Or do they mean when Cain murdered this people? Game? Or... Okay, so Buffy does not touch on any kind of religion at all. Or any sort of mythology whatsoever. Maybe it creates its own. Kills Balder or... But basically, the closest thing we get is back at the beginning of the Earth. Okay, so basically at one point in time, demons were what ruled the Earth. And before that, there was the first evil. They are the most powerful. They are the first. Everything else is... Ah, God, it's been a while. Everything else pales to the first evil. Okay. Alright, so this is Buffy lore that I'm imagining I'll get more subjected to in later seasons? Yes. Okay, gotcha. We'll talk about that at a different time then. Because we did not talk about the first evil, like, at all in the season. No, because... yeah. Well, first of all, Joss Whedon hadn't invented it yet. Uh, right. But second of all, that's not Sid's backstory. <laughs> oh, yeah, we also get the kid, the puppeteer as well, who's actually more, ironically, as they say, more of a puppet than the puppet is. And then we, we kind of just completely sidestep the kid once we establish that the puppet is not malicious. Yeah. Well, and... Well, he, the- he's- Perverted, but not malicious. You get, and then you get some of the like. This is what made me think of Child's Play. Is there's some shots with the dummy where they'll use like silhouette running to show that he's alive, or a character thinks that they're being followed. 
and you think it's the dummy, but there's nothing there. <clears throat> but I, I think that's really the only way you could do a premise like this is you have to borrow at least somewhat from Child's Play. Yeah. It, and it definitely does uh, a twist on Child's Play, certainly. Although I, I could live without the horn dog dummy. Uh, that was a little. That was a little weird. It was a little uh, much. Not that I wouldn't necessarily buy that a character would act like that. I just wonder why you would write it there in the first place. Yeah. But yeah, this is very much just another like standalone, one shot episode, and that's that's the biggest issue with this season is there's too many standalone just one off yeah. episodes that aren't building anything. Not that we mind one-shots, <laughs> it's just you need to develop the main plot a bit more. And yeah, give us don't, more than like four episodes out of twelve to develop the main plot. Don't get me wrong, for anybody who's listening to this, because this will be up of course on the YouTube channel as well as Spotify. I love one-off episodes. One of my favorite episodes has nothing to do with the rest of the season and the season it's in. But we still take time that make it feel like there's something building in the background that the characters just can't deal with this episode. In this, the Master might as well not exist until he popped up on screen. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. That that should not be how it is, unless you're writing it a certain way. But he doesn't give enough time to it to be much of anything until the very end. Yeah. And then he's gone. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and then... Puppet dies at the end. There's no reason for him to exist uh, past this point because his soul escapes. Well, he, he yeah, he finished point. his mission. Which is why it's even weird that they bring it back in the video game. Like, I don't understand. Uh, number 10, Nightmares. A fun... Directed... Oh, huh? sorry. No, I forgot you were hadn't said the director yet. Yeah, sorry. I, I guess I'm just getting to the thing of just saying directors and written by... This one is interesting, though. This one... Uh, directed by Bruce Seth Green, again. Um, it says in the credits, Story by Joss Whedon, Teleplay by David Greenwald. Huh. So this one was apparently developed a little bit more on the cutting room floor before it got here. Well, that doesn't surprise me because this is a very character-driven episode. Yes, very much so. Um, yeah, do you want to explain this one? Uh, actually, I didn't watch rewatch this one, uh, so I'm going to let you. This is actually one that I don't, I, I don't remember this one very well, actually, which is very weird. It, basically, Nightmares deals with what else but Nightmares. Um, we begin with, like, Buffy having a, a nightmare about going to the Master and basically getting killed, getting beaten. We get into that sort of fear aspect. Um, again, we as the audience don't exactly buy the uh, stakes too much because the master's not developed, but at least we're getting some development with Buffy. We're saying that, yeah, she feels nervous about this and just, you know, the ramp up of going to this confrontation. Um, Mom shakes her awake. She remembers certain things, but I forgot this episode after it was done, but I I remember what it does for the characters. Okay, so but I'm going to give just a brief summary because I don't remember I don't remember specific yeah. details. But the basic summary is that something makes them live out their worst fears. Yeah. And it's very much just showing what these characters are afraid of and how they overcome it and how it changes them. 
Now I remember now, actually. Yeah, we get into some humorous elements with it. A lot of humorous elements, actually. But also a lot of some darker stuff as well. But it's mostly played for comedy, which I find to be a little strange. Especially with with Xander and Cordelia, certainly. Xander's is great, where he's afraid of the killer clown. This episode very much feels like Joss Whedon is confident in this premise. But the network tells him to lighten it up because they're afraid of how it will be on network television. Yeah. Because if you wanted to play this concept straight, it would get very cerebral and very dark very quickly. And uh, I guess slight spoilers, he does this again later, and it's it's better, sort of. In like a later season? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, by then, that the sh- by then Buffy has enough clout that he can basically do whatever he wants. Yeah. Um, the other thing I just want to set this expectation as well. We're doing this one episode by episode because it's only twelve episodes. We are not, I don't think, going to be able to go through episode by episode for every season because everything else from here on out is twenty two episodes. No, you're right, but I, I did want to do it for this one at least <clears throat> because of twelve seasons. No, that's that's absolutely fine. I just don't want to get people's hopes up that we're going to do an episode by episode breakdown of season because two. It's, it's a bit worried to get into 22 episode seasons, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on other episodes later on, I imagine. Um, well, and I, I've got some ideas I think I'll run by you after the after this, but um, but yeah, I mean, episode 11, no, we're on 10, uh, is pretty strong if you like just some lighthearted character stuff. It's not mind blowing. Again, it's completely skippable, in my experience. Um, there, there is, um, there is definitely a dark element present throughout the episode, though, as I remember. Um, the, there's a kid named Billy who is essentially. There's been this theme that kind of starts where people are starting to because there's a lot of magic running around things with a hell mouth. Certain people are projecting a bit of their self worth and their perception of the world onto the actual literal physical world. And this kid basically is projecting his nightmares of basically being in a coma. And it affects everyone else's lives. This kid who was assaulted by a coach got into a coma. then I'm going to it throughout. We get a happy ending at the end where the kid comes out of the coma and coach is, uh, you know, berated and arrested. Thank goodness. Um, but yeah, so for that, we get a lot of character stuff. Giles is, once again, shown to be a supportive care person where basically his worst fear is shown to be Buffy dying on his watch. Yeah, and Buffy's is being becoming a vampire, I believe. Which both of those elements very much play into the last episode. Yeah. It's a good tie-in. A little foreshadowing. Uh, I think that is a perfect segue because there's not... I mean, unless you want to go through every character's fear, we might as well just jump in episode 12. Uh, quick thing for episode 11. And I and we talked oh, about... Oh, that's what I meant. Sorry, not episode 12. That's quite all right. Yeah, episode 11, which is uh, dealing also with the element... Well... Real quick, another new director, Reza Badi. Uh, uh, we get too much spread out authority over these episodes, I feel, um, where there's just too many people trying to captain the ship. Once again, story by Joss Whedon, teleplay, 
by uh, Ashley Gable and Thomas A. Uh, Swiden or Swiden, you know, the one, the same pair that did I Robot You Jane. Oh, no. <laughs> Although this episode is better than it. The only thing I will disagree with you on that is I'm pretty sure that all of these scripts had to be approved by Whedon. Yes, I would imagine so, but more direct input from Whedon in this case. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Um, Out of Sight, Out of Mind also deals with the concept of a person projecting her own perception of the world onto the literal world. She becomes invisible, and she causes havoc and shenanigans. Cordelia takes kind of a heel turn but like a reverse heel turn in this episode where she is forced essentially to be a bit more bit nicer to the main cast and as a result we see a bit more humanity in her and a bit more development from this character yeah um which is one of the reasons why i like this episode because i think it goes a bit better into Episode 12, we also get a bit of from Angel as well, where Angel and Giles have a you know, have an exchange, and Giles talks about a text that he really needs to interpret, like, some prophecies. Angel says it'll get it from them. We get that exchange as well. Uh, Angel really goes into the fact where he feels uncomfortable being around Buffy right now. And, so, and some reluctance there. We get some development. Um, we also have the invisible girl get picked up by the FBI. And we develop something where she'll hopefully become an antagonist in later seasons. But as you told me, where she gets dropped off, we never come back to. And that that made You're me so mad. Bad. That made me so mad I, because I, I like, like this episode, yeah. I liked where it was going with developing like another like sub attack, not necessarily a main antagonist, but like one that could like recur in like other episodes, like later down the line. But no, apparently she's gone. Great, thanks. This is quite a cliffhanger to leave off on, where we have a school of invisible people who act as assassins for the government. We have someone who's very well disposed to be incredibly vengeful against Buffy. And we're not going to pay that off at all. Why? (laughs) That's my feeling on that episode, briefly. But yeah, I like this episode a lot. I think this is the quintessential cheesy B-horror flick condensed into an hour of television. Um, I like the actress that plays the Invisible Girl a lot. She's been in a few movies that I like. One we've reviewed. Uh, if you haven't watched the Ghost of Mars video, go watch it. Don't watch Ghost of Mars, though. <laughs> no, don't, don't watch Ghost of Mars. Just watch our video on it. Don't watch that. Um, but I think, yeah, like the same thing with Angel in episode 7. This, this episode's biggest strong suit is we finally get some uh, uh, characterization for Cordelia. Uh, the th- I love Cordelia, by the way, like but I also know where she's going. Uh, I can see why people might like her, like given this season, and probably where she could be in later ones. Um, Cordelia's thing, and what I think find, makes her fascinating in this episode, in this season, is she is Buffy. She is Buffy before Buffy got power. Um, That's an interesting way to look at it, but yeah, I can see where you're going with that. Well, and part of this is influenced by the fact that I've seen the movie, but. But Buffy, before she got the powers, because this is this is very much the same character. We just kind of retconned some things. 
was a L.A. Valley girl whose biggest issues was what boy she was taking to the dance and where she wanted to go shopping. Uh, she learned responsibility through her power. Cordelia is that person who hasn't gotten that chance for change yet. Yeah, we get some deeper character stuff in this episode. That's but. I think it's a bit better than what we get with um, nightmares, personally, because I think when you're a bit more focused and not trying, not trying to spread out the development across the whole cast, especially with episodic television, I think it does the characters better justice. I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and that. that's some of my favorite episodes in the show are just standalone. We pick a character and develop them, because and fair warning, I am going to quote passion of the nerd here just a little bit but all of buffy's friends or everyone that we focus on everything that we develop with them somehow is how it relates back to buffy so even though we are developing someone like xander or willow we are also developing buffy by developing the the differences between these two characters yeah let's talk about the finale john finale so good yeah um oh the other thing i do want to mention about 11 is it has one of my favorite cordelia lines yeah i think as we keep cordelia after this episode i'm glad she's gonna recur um because buffy's like but you're why you're the most popular girl in school or something like that and cordelia's like you think i can't be popular and be lonely yeah. and it's, yeah. it's so good so good right. um so 12, Prophecy Girl, Joss Whedon for the first time in the season takes full control as both director and writer. And this is the episode where it all comes together and you see what this show is going to be. I think this episode is fantastic and it's Sarah Michelle Gellar's best performance in the season. The master is able to actually be a character with impact for once. <laughs> I just, I just imagine Joss Whedon looking at the first eleven episodes, and then pulling up Thanos and just being like, "Fine, I'll do it myself." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, he gets to be a character. We finally get to see what this season has been building to. Um, we find out that Buffy is fated to fight the Master and die. Buffy has a panic attack. It's. It is so good. I mentioned this already, but that scene where she's just throwing the books and it's like, read me, you know, read my fortune or read my future. Uh, Yeah, like she can be a girl as a character and still be genuine and still be very conflicted about that. It's it's to the point where you you confront responsibility, but it's so it's so antithetical to where you want to be as a person. This is, I think, the textbook. If if we accept that Buffy as a show, throughout the entire show, it's about growing up. This episode is the first step of growing up, and that is accepting your responsibility. Yes. Because uh, Buffy, up until this point, she's been happy to fight monsters and other things, but she never felt like she was in danger. Now and, she's going to die. And one of the reasons I like Giles so much is because he... He plays it exactly as I think someone, like a genuinely good person, would do in his case. He's conflicted. He doesn't know what to do. He gives the information out reluctantly, and then later says, "You know, what? screw the prophecy. I don't care what your responsibility is. 
I just want to protect you now. Well, and he it's not even that he gives it up reluctantly. He didn't want her to know. Well, I mean, yeah, she he, only he knows because she overheard him telling Angel. Well, yeah, and then he's more more or less direct about it afterwards when she confronts him. But yeah, um, and then we get Buffy's death, which it's yeah. a little weird. It's a bit contrived, but Joss Whedon needs to get the show to where he <laughs> wants it to go. I imagine. I'm not sure exactly where he's going, but I'm looking forward to seeing the direction. Yeah. Um. But yeah, basically, the Matt is as stated in the prophecy. The Master kills Buffy by, you know, sinking things into the neck, and drains her blood. He becomes stronger, but she does not fully die. She is revived by Xander, who we see who has directly confessed to her. She basically is honest with him, saying, "I'm sorry, I don't look at you that way." He like spirals but manages to rebound once he's, you know, fueled by the fact of, oh yeah, Buffy's going into danger. I need to help her. I'm also going to get Angel off his ass and help out as well. Xander's biggest positive as a character is no matter how mad he is or whatever he's going through, at the end of the day, he is there to help Buffy. Exactly. Um, We'll also get some great moments as well in this in this episode where we once again talk about the fact of, yeah, she has to stand up for herself. As much as she likes Xander, she's not going to act as he wants around her. Well, and it's interesting. Especially if it's not good for her and or good for her. Well, and it's interesting because that moment very much feels like a cap-off to Willow's arc in this season. Whereas Buffy's arc doesn't feel like it begins until this episode. Yeah, it's she's not exactly very three dimensional throughout the show. Her much. her character throughout the show is blonde girl with superpowers, um, who just wants uh, to do, do things that girls do. Yeah, but then in this episode, we actually finally get to the point where yeah, she has a character conflict. She's a girl. She's sixteen. She doesn't want to die. Exactly. It also hints at like just how absurd the Slayer thing is. Like one random girl from the world is supposed to fight the entire world's evil. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yes, a bit bizarre, certainly. Um, but we do, we delve into that bizarre nature of it. You know, we take it seriously. and We're able to buy it because the show is taking it seriously. Yeah, but I, I very much view this as a almost. As the death of season one and the rebirth into season two, because yep. uh, I feel like Buffy is it's the same person, but she's obviously different. At the end, she mentions, you know, I feel stronger. We see her effortlessly beat the master. Um, it's very much oh, shedding some small effort, but mostly she trounces him. Oh, she's yeah. she's messing with him like that entire fight. But it's very much the shedding of your younger self, your carefree self, and getting ready to enter the world of adulthood. Um, I also get I, plant things. It's great. I don't know what it is, but it's great. We don't know why, but we've seen animatronic stuff before. We like it. We like when <laughs> effects are real. Um, yeah. Let us know in the comments below uh, if you know what that thing is. I'm sure there's a wiki page somewhere that tells like a. 50 yeah, paragraphs say about what that thing is. 
Um, we also get a point where Angel and Buffy are truly able to reconcile, which is great. Um, Cast makes its exit afterwards. Buffy more or less goes to the prom afterwards, kind of. Or at least it was the spring formal. The spring formal, I I don't know. I didn't go to public school. I only specify because the prom is important later. Fair point. Uh, (laughs) They go to the bronze afterwards, we assume. Yeah, probably. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, overall, Uh, this is a a solid episode and a really good cap-off that ends. We're done with the master. hmm. Now we can move on. And now we can establish a better antagonist. Oh, and... Season two is my favorite. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, my favorite antagonist, just to specify, my favorite season is season three. Um, all right. Uh, it's gonna be tricky trying to condense a whole twenty-two episodes into a discussion, but we'll figure it out. We are we are running out of time, I think. Uh, because we we do have other stuff we want to get done tonight. So the last thing I want to ask, I suppose, is just. I thought it would be interesting, because this is very much also just Milton's first journey with the show. What are your predictions for season two? Okay, so so technically speaking, from a technical standpoint, we may do more animatronics later. Choreography is going to be mostly the same, but we'll have some slight improvements. Um, we will probably have a few more sets that we can deal with. It's still going to take place mostly in the school because she's going, I'm assuming, from her sophomore year to her junior year. Season one is season one is sophomore, season two is junior, season three yeah. is senior. Yeah. Um we're going to keep uh, Xander and Willow as the main two aside from Buffy. We're gonna get some more development there. Xander, now that he's not tied so much to Buffy anymore, but still is attracted to her, there's going to be some more conflict there. Willow, I imagine, is still going to have some residual feelings for Xander, but there's going to be some playing around with that, with those three. Angel is going to be a bigger presence. Uh, Hopefully we figure out a bit more of what to do with Giles as a mentor, um, because we love Giles, because Giles is awesome. So I think we're going to get more from him, get a better antagonist, hopefully. I believe so. More vampires, maybe a few more one-shots, but hopefully stuff that's a bit more story-focused throughout season two. I will um, say this as well, just because, again, this is more just a writing thing. I'm not giving specific season information. They won't perfect the one-shot versus the story arc until season three. But season two is a massive improvement. All right. <laughs> I have no freaking idea what Cordelia is going to do. I have no idea. Maybe it's more of the same, but with her being a quirky, somewhat maligned, but also somewhat positive character now that she's a bit more developed. But I have no freaking clue. But if she's going to be there. I know I, that much. I almost wish we did like reaction videos just so we could get Milton's reaction to season two. <laughs> Um, what else can I say? Um, oh, we get into more origin about the Slayer, I hope. Just the concept and just world development. I hope we get more of that. Um, okay. Now, of course, based on your reactions to certain things, 
maybe Buffy and Xander have a fling ever so briefly, but I imagine it's not going to go on for very long. Okay, so I want you to remember those because when we do our season two video, I'm going to ask you how close you were. Okay. I know how close you are, but... <laughs> well, we'll play it back. I'll play it back and I'll I'll see you like right before... Uh... You are a braver man than me. Let me just tell you a side tangent here. When I'm editing stuff for the channel, I hate the sound of my own voice. Uh, it drives me nuts. You have to confront it, unfortunately. It's yeah. uh, it's a weird thing, like, biologically, where we <laughs> we hear it a certain way just based on where the ear is and how it connects with, audibly with where the mouth is. And then you hear it very differently when it's, when it's recorded. That's probably, that's true. And, that, and that's how other people hear your voice. Well, I don't think we're going to do a traditional uh, like out of five review for this uh, just because this is more just like talking story points and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, I don't think I don't think it's hard to rate this season because it's here's what I would say. Um, let's say would we either watch this season, would we either recommend this season or not? And maybe how much of it will we recommend? Okay. So I would I, recommend I would recommend the the short guide that we gave, and then if you're curious for more just out of this season, I would recommend ten and eleven, six, ten, and eleven. Yeah, um, for me, I would recommend in episodes. Of course, you get the main ones. I like the witch. The pack is pretty good. Ten as well. I don't know. Puppet show not as much, but I really like eleven. But maybe it might be better if people skip eleven. It's weird because you get Cordelia stuff in there, which is kind of important. But then you also get the disappointment of never going back to that <laughs> stuff again. Um, <laughs> definitely give the uh, the season a recommendation. I would definitely recommend it. Uh, thanks, guys, for hanging out. Uh, we. We haven't decided if we're going to do anything else tonight, so we're just going to consider this at least the main thing we're doing. Uh, we don't know when we'll get to season two because it's twice, almost twice the episodes to get through, and we have we watched some of them together, but just for the sake of so he knows everything that's going on, he watches a lot of them in his free time, and he's slow. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, we will see you guys Wednesday night for the two Vampire Hunter D films. Milton has been waiting forever to review those. Where do it lined up? One of the conceptually vampires. <laughs> yeah, because we kept delaying Vampire Hunter D. <laughs> I don't represent it too much, though. But no, I was glad uh, to have those episodes before. This absolutely. Time. But yeah, we appreciate you guys, and we will see you Wednesday night. Thank you for watching, everyone.